in God this morning. Do you believe that? Amen. I imagine you believe it so wholeheartedly. I said, do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Good. Sound like there is a little laugh left once in a while. 63rd chapter of Isaiah. I want to read some old familiar scriptures to you. And this morning, if you have the ability to bear with me, bear with me a little bit this morning while we try to challenge your life with the duty that God has asked us all to be a part of and to perform. I want to read the 63rd chapter of Isaiah down to it, including the 6th verse. There's a lot in it. Don't expect to get the depth of it. Perhaps the prophecy was left in it. I only want to read it to you so we can extract a little bit from it and maybe go along with a message that I feel like that if you're interested at all in the kingdom of God and interested at all in God's approach, that perhaps you might get a little good out of it for yourself and perhaps be able to take it to someone else. I think perhaps this might be one of the greatest weaknesses of God's people is their inability to retain enough of God's word long enough to tell it to somebody else. Amen? Amen. So much of the time we retain a small portion of it and it helps us. But then it doesn't take the devil very long to steal it away from it. I might add that this is covered in one of the parables in Matthew concerning seed that is sown and then the devil comes and takes it away. He admonishes us that this should not be in a fruitful Christian's life. Beginning at the first verse, 63rd chapter, read along with me, if you will. Who is this that cometh from Eden, Edom, with dyed garments of Bosra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to say, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that traineth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone. Of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help. I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. I will tread down the people in my anger. I will make them drunk in my fury. I will bring down their strength to the earth. Right, the first portion of this scripture is two, two questions asked and two answers. Isaiah, of course, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is asking the question, Booming voice of Almighty God is answering him. First of all, I want you to recognize the great need that is covering the land. Sin, debauchery, degradation, coldness of heart, unconcernment, and mankind walking after his own ways and fleshly manifestations and all the things that is ungodly. And in seeing this, we see that the fury of God is represented here. What God is about to do. What he doesn't want to do, but what he is about to do because of the sin in the land that moves him to his wrath and to his fury. Perhaps those people back then did not recognize the wrath of God 
Perhaps they were a little bit like we are today. Perhaps they lived under the merciful hand of God, felt his overshadowing wings as it overshadowed them and hid them from the temptations, trials, and tribulations. Perhaps they saw the mercy of God everywhere and the miracles of God everywhere. And it was hard for them to conceive with a fleshly mind that perhaps the other side of God might ever be shown to them. Here the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is getting his first view of the wrath of God and what he looks like as he is in his fury and in his wrath. Insomuch that Isaiah being closely acquainted with the Lord God Jehovah, being in his presence many times, did not recognize who he was. Insomuch that question number one was asked, Who is this? That cometh from Eden, Edom, with thy garments of Basra. And then he looked at him and saw the strength and glory of his apparel, and saw the greatness of his strength. And then there was a voice that he recognized, one that sounded a little more serious than ever before, one that sounded a little more pleading, perhaps, than it ever had before. And that voice was the voice of the Lord God Jehovah, as he said, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. You see, it was not his desire to destroy. Yet he was coming with wrath that would destroy. And with his wrath, he was still looking for somebody that could stop him. You'll notice, of course, every newspaper has a column they call the Wahad. person wants something, he advertises for it. I think perhaps as there was such a thing as one ad in the Bible, I think right now we might see splattered across there and great black letters wanted a man to stop God. I don't think that was just then. I think perhaps that comes down to your and yours and my day right today. I think perhaps that the world is winding up. We see the signs of times in heaven and in earth. We see the misery, we see the discouragement, we see the pain, and we see the woe. And we see the people that was one time wrapped in the arms of God, seem like God is just unfolding and leaving them stand there with the temptations of the world all around them. And we see that the wrath of God, his nostrils, are being filled with the unrighteousness that is filling the earth today as it was then. But even as his nostrils are being filled with unrighteousness, he's still crying in answer to the question, who is this? What is happening upon the land today? What type of thing is going on today? And when will we be able to look at God and behold him in his greatness? Who is this? And then the answer came, I am that speaking righteousness. In other words, it's my desire to speak righteousness to the hearts of mankind. Even though his wrath and fury was great, even though he was about ready to come down and consume mankind, he still portrayed his majesty as he said, I am mighty to save. Even though destruction would soon be, it was not because God wanted to. God in this course of that stage of the game was seeking a man that would stop him. He was seeking somebody that could find intercessory power. He was seeking somebody that was concerned enough about their kindred, about their country, about their nation, about the sick, about the afflicted, about the sick.
country that was coming the world, God was looking for somebody that could intercede and reach him and stop his wrath as it began to be ready to be spewed out upon the face of the entire earth and especially his fellow nation. Notice again another question. Wherefore art thy red in thine apparel? In other words, now that you speak and I can recognize you, what does this red mean in your apparel? And thy garments like him that treadeth the wine pack. And then notice his words. I have treading the wine press alone. In other words, when I looked about, I should have been able to find someone out of my people that, have walked, that would have walked with me. I have to tread it alone. And then he goes on to say, I'll tread them down in my anger. I'll trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garment. And I will stain all of my raiment. For he goes on to say, the day of my vengeance is at hand. In other words, if something doesn't transpire, if somebody can't catch the zeal and desire and determination, if somebody can't catch the desperate urge and begin to stand in the speed of humanity, a day of my vengeance is come. And then he looked, and these are the words that really stirred me when I read it. And I looked. In other words, it's unlike God to cause his wrath and fury to be spewed out upon the face of the earth. Until he first looks around and sees if there's somebody interested enough for him to invest his message and his power and utilize that which he has given them. It is unlike God. And he said, I looked around. I tried to find him in heaven and I tried to find him in earth and there was none to help. Can you imagine the situation as it presents itself? A godly people, supposedly, a holy nation, a peculiar people who were servants of the Most High God. And yet at this particular time, when God looked around, he couldn't find anybody to help. He could find nobody interested enough to carry the burden. He could find nobody concerned enough to shoulder the Lord. He could find nobody to weep in tears and cry for the world and for the anxiety of mankind. He could find nobody and would pray and seek to intervene as his wrath was almost ready to be poured out. And I imagine these were lonely words to a lonely God as he stood there and said, I did it alone and I looked around and I tried to find somebody and when I looked there was none there to uphold me. Can you imagine the words? had come from the lips of the master then and sounded out through the lips of Isaiah as he spoke it to the people in that present day. And he said, God, who is your God, who is your Jehovah, search through the rank and pile of mankind, rich and poor like high and low, and he could find not one person and was willing to uphold him and hold him high in the midst of a Gentile world full of adversity and strife. I'd like first to let that soak in just a little bit and let us recognize would it be any different now if Christ was to come and certainly he is getting ready to. Can you read your newspapers? Can you watch your television? Have you ever saw a time when your newspapers scream out almost every word on the headline is peace of some kind? Have you ever listened to your television where they're seeking to find the ways and means of peace? And the Bible says they would cry, peace, peace, and there would be no peace. All of these things are gathering nations and mankind together, and they're walking in 
sin and debauchery, and they're failing to recognize who they are and what they are and what they're supposed to be doing. And I suppose the words of God could most possibly ring out in this day and hour today. And I think, as God lost them, so is he today, as his wrath builds up, as his fury builds up, as sin is spelling in his nostrils, God is looking for somebody that can stop him and his wrath and present the world with mercy, loving kindness from the cross of Calvary. And you could be that one. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, you could be that one. If you were so desirous of being where God would have you to be and walking as God would have you to walk. And he said there was none to uphold. But he said not to be outdone. Because the world had never really known the free pardon of sin. Having lived under the law, which made them only knowledgeable that sin was present and no power whatsoever to rid themselves of it, only covering it. He said not to be outdone her cause of his wrath, her cause of his fury, her cause of the sin. He said, I searched the world over. I couldn't find any man that would stand strong for me. I couldn't find a human being on the face of the earth that could stop my wrath. And he said, I'll tell you, I love mankind so much that my only begotten son or my own arm brought me salvation that has been presented over the past 2,000 years and mankind has still turned his back upon the loving kindness and mercy of Almighty God. God's voice is still with me out today. I am not looking to destroy mankind. I'm looking for a man that can stop me from destroying mankind. Somebody said that's an odd statement. Who can stop God? But I think if we're much of a Bible scholar, we'll find that God has been stopped on many occasions. We'll find that Abraham stopped God for the total destruction of all that was in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. God came by with intentions of destroying everything that lived and breathed I was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did he do this? Because the sin and the failure of mankind to walk up right before God had reached into the heavens. There was no prayers of incense to come and teach and the spell of humanity. And sometimes I think perhaps this is our failure. Sin smells, friend. Debauchery stinks. And the nostrils of God has been filled that God has ordained a sweet-smelling incense that can cover the stench and debauchery of sin. And that incense is prayer, thank God, the million of anointed children of God that are concerned about the world. And if you want to stay the judgments of God, bombard heaven with earnest prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, thank God, even in this day. No wonder the devil don't want you to pray. No wonder he wants you to stay and sit cold and lifeless and walk around like a mummified person. No wonder he would like to keep you from doing something to upbuild the kingdom of God. No wonder he would want to stop you from being obedient to the commandments of God. And no wonder, friend, he would keep you off your knees. No wonder he'd keep your eyes blinded to what can be a portion to the world in prayer. Because it is sin. And it is the lack of prayer that allows the sin to ascend up into the heavens. You'll notice in Revelations, when the cup of the wrath of God is almost full, he says that it has reached into his nostrils. He's almost to the verge of not being able to contain his wrath as it is poured forth. 
I'm in the silence. Just for 30 minutes, there's peace of it. Thank God there's silence in heaven. And there's praise and glory and adoration. And the poor living creatures who cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, day and night. And those that are surrounding the throne of the Most High God, the angels of heaven, have sang the songs of Zion and the years of the Lord God Jehovah, and has ever since the beginning of time now stands with their lips silence. An eerie silence in years, because the wrath of God is almost ready to be spewed out upon them. And then it says, a cup of incense is taken, which is prayer of those uh, that are really concerned. Uh, and what the wrath of God had, would have destroyed all living creatures from the face of the earth, the incense that is poured out, and the saints of the Most High God are uh, concerned. Wrath uh, God's loving arms about his people, and they're scared uh, of that which is tempestuous in that tempestuous in that time. Because somebody was willing to put forth every effort that was within them to stop God. Abraham, God went by Abraham because he realized in Abraham there was somebody God said it cares. Notice at that particular time, God was sure sitting in the world there was somebody that cared what happened. Notice God wasn't going to destroy where Abraham was. He could have sat in the regions of comfort as you and I do today. I thought seemingly we're not reached. And God didn't come by and say, I'm going to destroy you, Abraham. I'm going to destroy where you're sitting, Abraham. And he went by Abraham and he said with his destroying angels, I'm on my way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did he take the time to tell Abraham this? Because Abraham was a friend of God. And any friend of God would have to be concerned about what happened to anybody regardless of who they was. Abraham then began to intercede. God came by there because he wanted to be stopped from moving every living breath of every living being from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. That he would have rather not destroyed it at all. And you see, this sees the wickedness. And then when the wickedness is so great that the cities, or perhaps nations, cannot be spared, by then, of course, there's always that ability of God to lead his people out from them. Thank God he put his protecting robe around them and care for them. God knew what his man was. Sin had reached up into the heaven. Sodom and Gomorrah had defiled the virtue of the living God, the pureness of God. And they walked contrary to the ways of God, to his laws, to his commandments, and God to the ways of the place, insomuch that they were on the verge of being destroyed. And God came by Abraham, said, I'm going to destroy it. Abraham then fell on his knees and said, I'd like to bargain with you a little bit, Lord. In other words, God had found the man that was going to try to stop him. God didn't want to do this thing. That sin was so prevalent that the holiness of God could not stand and look upon it. There had to be a covering someplace. And the sin of this human race today is getting so great that except the church of the living God get down on the seas and about its business, this sin will reach the nostrils of God and utter destruction will come. But thanks be to God when he looked and he said, My own arm, oh, hallelujah, brought me salvation. In other words, even if the whole world is destroyed, even if it burns in the fire 
even if it goes up in smoke, there's still the redeemer. Thank God you were shelter. God's people in his loving arms and see down too. Thank God for me free. If you happen to be one that you can. You say, well, how could I do to stop God? Friend, so many things you do to stop God. Gone from the churches are the people that are concerned enough to come in sometime. Perhaps when there isn't any church, or perhaps get there a little bit earlier. When there is church, gone are the days of people that are concerned enough to come and not bear their own burdens, and made it to cross, and bear the heavy load of sin, and is weighed, being weighed in the balances of time in the world. How long has it been since you come into the church burden down with not your own burden, and with the burden and oceans of despair for humanity? That's out here that's fires off the new one. Gone are the days that used to see tears stained out of the old and young life as they rose from an altar prayer because they was trying to stop the fury of Almighty God from raining down upon a household, upon a town, a city, or perhaps even a nation, as far as that is concerned. God had found in the olden days somebody that could stop him. He was not desirous of destroying humanity. And when sin can become so great, and there is no incense or paradox that does it from the nostrils of God, destruction is going to come. And even while destruction is on the way, there is that pitiful voice of Jehovah that says, I am speaking righteousness, mighty to save. In other words, I want to save all humanity. That they would rather walk in their own ways. Have another feast among the fleshly elements and beggarly elements of this world. They would rather walk pleasing to the heart of mankind. Rather to walk stable and upright in the righteousness of Almighty God. And timely, the interceding of Abraham paid off. He wasn't able to save the town. He wasn't able to save the majority of the inhabitants. That because of Abraham, because of his intercession, because he really cared. He was concerned. He didn't just go to church and say, I care. He didn't just manifest crocodile tears in front of people that Abraham stood before the Lord. This is what I like about Abraham. He didn't stand before people boasting of his greatness and the priority he had with God. But he stood before the Lord pleading the cause of humanity as best he possibly could. He was out to stop God if he could. And stop him from complete destruction he did. That's the angel took Lot and his daughters by the hand and let them out. They wasn't worthy to be led out. And somebody stood in their steep and God led them out. Somebody said, oh, the scripture says just lost. Just lost. And I want you to know how just he was and how just his daughters was as they committed incest just immediately after they had left. You see, they wasn't really worthy. It wasn't the prayer of life. He wasn't the prayer of his daughters. It wasn't the prayer of his wife had led them out. It was the prayer of a man that was out to stop the hand of God. It was from the lips of a person that realized that he had priority with God. No more, friend, than the weakest Christian among us today because all of us have access to the tongue of God and he does hear us and he's mindful of the words we speak and the manner we speak to them. He is concerned. He does care. 
but he is concerned. And then, as he is today, there was no man. I looked and I beheld, and there was no man. Remember right after Moses went up on the mountain? And remember whenever he brought back the uh, oracles, so to speak, the Ten Commandments and many others? And he came down and Israel is worshiping the golden calf. And the fury of God. I want you to see what can happen. This was a loving God. Cared for Israel. Brought them out. Turned the waters back. Grounded the armies of Pharaoh. Destroyed the horsemen and their riders. Destroyed the chariot. Saw them through the wilderness. Had them and saw that their shoes didn't wear out at all. Gave them water from the rock and manna from heaven. And yet because they could not see. Because they had gotten a situation where there was nobody to speak for them. Immediately turned the idolatry. And Moses came down and saw it. And Moses' anger was waxed hot. But this was small in comparison to the anger of the Jehovah God. As he stood before Moses and he said, leave me alone. Now why did he speak those words, leave me alone? Because his fury had waxed hot. How sin and debauchery had covered Israel. And that time was screaming out. And the holiness of God could not stand it. And he told Moses, you just get out of my way. And I'll destroy them all. But really, God was looking for a man. And he found For Moses had gotten over his mad. He looked out and he saw people that he loved. That's why God came to Moses in the first place. Because he was not a selfish man. He did not have selfish motives. Was not motivated by self. He was motivated by a sincere desire to reach humanity and to pull his kindred out from the bondage of Pharaoh of that day. Get his people out of Egypt. That's all Moses wanted to do. And any person that loves God wants to get the world or get the people out of the world and let the bondage be broken. Anybody that really loves God. Of course, I realize many of us say we love God and we put forth very little effort of all it's in it to lead anybody out from under the bondage of despair that's in the world. We spend no time in witnessing. We spend no time in praying. We spend no time in fasting. We are not zealous of God's work. We're not zealous of His holiness. But we play church. And as we play church, the world dies. As we play church, there are incense. Our candle is burning low. As we play church, a sweet-smelling savior had used to ground to sin and debauchery from the nostrils of God has getting lower and lower until finally this that we have covered through the effectual private prayer of righteous men and women is going to be so weak that the stench of sin and debauchery will reach the God in heaven. And then he'll have no alternative only to come in his wrath and knock in his holiness. And Moses fell on himself. And he began to stop God. <coughs> Hallelujah. Yes, he stopped God. What God's intention was, was to destroy everybody but Moses. He said, and if a man ever had a reason to be selfish, if a man ever had a reason to say, just go ahead and destroy them, because God had said, I'll destroy the bread from every one of them, and I'll raise up from you a people for my name's sake. But Moses remembered what God had said. He remembered his contest between Pharaoh. And he remembered. And what Moses wanted most of all was that the name of the Lord God Jehovah would never be run through the muck and mire of sin and despair in the world. 
He was concerned. And not so much that he got out and he said, God, if you destroy this people, those people in the world will say that you didn't have strength enough to bring them where you said you would. See, Moses was not concerned with selfish abilities, but building himself a castle by himself. And Moses was concerned about God and about God's holy name and about God's people. Amen. And Moses presented his case to the Lord just like that. And Moses stopped the Lord. Thank God. He stopped the Lord. Let's take a peek for just a few minutes as God is seeking for those who stop him. In Revelations 2 and 14 chapter, the third verse, where the seven churches of Asia represented you. Now, if you just bear with me, I realize this don't mean too much to some of you, but if you just bear with me a little bit, well, we'll get through. Revelations, the second chapter, and there are seven churches of Asia mentioned there. And with almost uh, at least uh, five of those seven churches, there is God finding something wrong with these churches. Uh, these are churches, are representatives of people in those conditions today. You'll find people in the conditions such as this today, like the church of Ephesus. He says, I know thy work for labor. I know your patience. How thou canst not bear them of the evil. How thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. Canest found them liars. Can hath borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake hath labored and hast not fainted. Now to me, and especially to you and I today that would like to capitalize upon our goodness and upon our spirituality and upon our seemingly growth, so on and so forth. This to us, if we didn't know any better, would seem like the ideal church, would seem like the ideal situation. But God said, I saw your works, I watched your work, I saw your labor, I saw the patience was there, I saw how you can't bear that which is evil, how you find them that says they were the apostles, and through the spirit of discernment, has found that they wasn't and found the liars, how you have borne, have brought into existence humanity, how thou hast had patience for my namesake, have labored and hath not fainted. Now then, that's quite a qualification, quite several qualifications. But nevertheless, God brings it to their remembrance, and says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. There's still something that's lacking in spite of all of these things that you have done. There's still something wrong with you. And God is saying this, that's something wrong with you. That the day of judgment is going to cause my wrath to be upon you. And I want to find somebody that can stop me from destroying those that are in the church of Ephesus. And he said, you've loved, left your first love. Now then, in spite of all of this, uh, the ability not to be able to love has they one time were able to love. And remember, this is talking about people of God's congregation. This is talking about a church that was spirit-filled, that was born again, that moved and breathed one time with a fire instrument in the mouth of God. And God said, you've left your first love. And now then he's saying, I want somebody. I want a voice. Because I'll have to destroy you in spite of all of these works. I'll have to destroy you. And I'd like to have a voice that says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. And do the first works or else. What do you say? Or else I will come unto thee quickly and 
to remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, would a righteous, just, had a holy God, had a merciful God, when a church with all the attributes that this would have, you mean to stand here and tell me, had a holy God, when we moved them from his presence, had called them just one thing? I'll have to tell you this because the Bible just spoken out louder and plainer than I could ever hope to. And it says, but instead of destroying this humanity that has these good things, instead of destroying them, I would like for somebody to go with them out and tell these people to be careful of this thing that they're lacking. In other words, God said, I'd like to find somebody that can stop them. Because this sin is easy. This sin is gone. I would like to remind you that in spite of all the good things and the good attributes and the spiritual qualities that you might have, if there remains one spark of selfishness of sin and of despair in your life that you propose not to change or remove, regardless come hell or high water, so to speak, if this is your intention and you expect to have God to open the gates of heaven, let me remind you that you are so clearly wrong. Because my Bible tells me that except this one thing has repented of, his merciful hand, his mighty hand will have to come, not in his mercy, but in his wrath, and remove this candlestick from its place and place it right over here. Something that was one time in the presence of God. Something that was one time on fire for God. Something that manifested at his arm had it lost something. Had lost the quality that was needed. Had lost the quality that was needed to make it the pure and the holy thing that God desired. But instead of pronouncing judgment on this church right now, he says, Now somebody stop. Somebody please stop. Somebody please intercede. Somebody please pray. Somebody please cry out. Somebody please tell my people. And in spite of all of its other, this one thing will damn their soul. Somebody please intercede. Somebody please stand. Somebody please cry. Somebody please be concerned. All I want is a man. Or me. Or me. Or young. Or old. All I want is somebody to stop me from the destruction which I have to go through if something can't right and something can't come. Notice as he said at the church of Pergamos, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and we fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Somebody please stop. I think this has been the pleading voice of the Lord God Jehovah for so long. And I think over the past few months, and I'm serious about it, I've cried, I've sought for a message over the list. I've cried, I've begged, I've asked God. I've said, God, I've looked out over the people and they're not concerned about this. I've looked out over them and I find it hard to preach. I find that it don't lodge. God, if you can at all, let me have something else. And God said, do you care what happens to humanity? Do you care what happens to your congregation? Do you care what happens to your community? Are you concerned about your town? Do you care that my judgment would come and call and there would be no voice crying out in the darkness? Are you not concerned? And I would have to bury my, my hands and say, Lord God, so the saying is, quit on me. Let me have it and let me tell the people and show them the need of the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing in the way of the Lord. Let's take his path and make a ready people. But 
treasures and let them know the glorious power of the resurrected Christ in your life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm not going to go any farther with the exception we did in churches. And you'll find it all on the exception too. Something wrong. And God points this out. Because he don't want to destroy it. God don't want to destroy humanity. All down through the history of your Bible, when destruction has come, the pivot, the wrath of God has come. God has sent forth his prophets and his servants. He said it himself. They rose up early. Of whom the world, by the way, he said you wasn't worthy. You had heard it time and time again. I didn't have to do this. But I sounded it out. I rose up early. Time after time, had you despised my words, despised my servants, tore down my altars, didn't recognize my power anymore, and now my wrath has come. All down through the history of this Bible, when God has saw mankind in their sins, he didn't want to destroy them. In fact, he did everything he could to keep them. He said, I want a man. I want somebody to stop him. I want somebody to stop me. Because if I don't find somebody to stop me, I'm going to destroy man from the face of the earth. I want, to look, want you to look at something that's the same place. The horses in Revelations are beginning to be Every place you see, disturbances and death. The horses are beginning to run. Jesus is coming soon. Connect with the end sin of people, even God's people. From his servant nation, his reaching, his station and obstacles of God. God is crying out in a portion now of an inner increase. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of our sins. For our sins has reached up into the heaven, and God hath removed her iniquities. Where is a man that can stop God? His wrath is just as sure upon this United States of America, Israel, modern day Israel. God's wrath is just as sure upon us as it is upon the Gentile nations. If we can't find a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge, if we can't find somebody concerned enough to shed a few tears and pray a few, few prayers and deny themselves a few pleasures of this world that they might know God in an intimate way and might feel Him and walk in His righteousness and our own and seek what is the good pleasures of the Lord God Jehovah and not what is the good pleasures in the eyes of man. God is looking for a man. God is looking for a body. God is looking for the new man. God is looking for the bride of Christ. He's looking for a church. He's looking for those that were dead to themselves and alive to God. And this is going to be the only thing that can stop his wrath being poured out upon the United States of America and upon the world. Just one man. The Bible speaks of the creation of a new man. I think this is in Hebrews. And this is not talking about you. This is talking about a living group Wouldn't be of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of born again believers. Of those whom God has likened to a truth. One is both truth. And before God begins this body again, I was going to give the midnight cry. 
test one to be done. Who was so in the word of God. Who was all God. Why is it he said that the eye of him? Talking about you, no, talking about the body. That that which seems is in the flesh, the body. And causes it to come to be rid of the eye. If the arm and the feet of him you cut it off. If it causes hindrance in the body, cut it off. Does God propose that the body of Christ should march through the land with a man about an eye? Or without a leg or without a foot? No. God proposes that the men of these are plucked out. He proposes to grant them that which would desire to be a portion of the body and not part of itself all the time. This is a type thing that's going to stand before the wrath of God as the Gentile would have been Somebody somewhere has got to stop God before he destroys even his own determination. And you and I that are going to be living in these lives have been called upon to put the chalk under the wheel and hold it so we get it up to him. And you and I are going to be the ones standing before God with tears in our eyes, with knees that are prone to pray, and hearts that are contrite and unborn, and God are concerned about God and about his name and about his people. You and I have been chosen, called, I'll say that, we have been called, to be a part of this that would stop God when his wrath is put out on all of you. Do you want to really be part of it? I would you never hear the words of God. He says to you, to me. You want to make it clear. This happens to people. They have no mind but their own common faith. This happens to people that live their life every day. They say, every minute, can you believe that? Content to disobey what they know that God is doing in their life. We have to have the honor. Thank the mercy of God is going to be here. Thank the mercy of God is going to be on wrath of God. It's not equal to the mercy. Mercy is here. It's only the people who are afraid of the truth. And he decided to live their life to God. But keeps the truth in our hands. To keep them from destroying.